You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. A lot to talk about today. It's going to be a quick turnaround for Bulldog baseball. You know, we won a game against Sanford last night. We'll recap that shortly. We'll look ahead to a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series against a very good South Carolina team. But how good are they? The record says they're exceptional. Non-conference play has been um, maybe a little bit less challenging. But they've only lost a couple of midweek games on the year. So Mississippi State's got their work cut out for them. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter who's in the other dugout. Our biggest opponent is the strike zone, period. Now, a lot of people have theories about why we're seeing so many walks in college baseball. A lot of people wonder why there's an upkick ticking in offense. Uh, but I, I tell you, there's a lot of factors involved. And, you know, I would say from a macro level, you look at it and say the TrackMan technology is giving you a truer zone, so there's more balls across the plate, there's more pitches to hit. The problem is uh, that's not our problem. You know, sure, it impacts you a little bit, but the reality of it is that if you throw a ball in the dirt or over somebody's head or you hit somebody with a pitch, that's got nothing to do with software, right? But um, bottom line is, State's got to go out there and throw strikes. They did last night, you know, with rare exception. And granted, it's Sanford. I get it. And I tell you, it's almost impossible these days to have a discussion about Mississippi State baseball. You, you just can't. You wrote an article the other day about, you know, Connor Hyzak had a good weekend. He, could he be the answer at third base? Very first comment immediately comes to pitching. Because we're all frustrated. We are. And we don't always know how to voice that maybe in a constructive way because the bottom line is there's not much to be positive about. Let's just be honest. We, we endured a very difficult season last year. It was very embarrassing. And, yes, you could kind of excuse and explain some of it away to do some major injuries to pitchers we were counting on. But we hoped and felt that would be an anomaly. We went out and were aggressive in the portal, really chased some guys, felt we had brought in a really good portal class. And on the offensive side, we have. Where would we be without Amani Larry, Colton Ledbetter? Now you see Connor Heisak beginning to show some flashes. So offensively, yeah, we did a good job going out and finding some guys. But uh, clearly we didn't do enough on the pitching side. Yeah, because here we are. And then, of course, Nixon comes in, and, and he's been banged up a little bit. He pitched last night, his best outing uh, since opening weekend. And then there's Tyler Davis, the guy that we were expecting to get, eat up big innings for us. And he just struggles to get outs. Last outing, he didn't get a single player out. You know, those are the things, like, you look at that and you say, you know what? You know, some of that obviously is on coaching and evaluation and development. But at the end of the day, man, you got to go out there and perform. Period. 
So there's enough blame to go around. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to talk about Bulldog baseball now because basically, you know, every, every conversation becomes, man, can you believe we're in this position? And the answer to that question is no. I can't believe we're in this position. We did see some positives last night, despite the quality of the opposition. Had a good night for Dakota Jordan. Uh, and, again, we pitched it pretty well. And uh, Evan Sierra uh, <clears throat> gets the start last night. So we'll break all that down. But we're going to have to play our best baseball of the season thus far this weekend against South Carolina. And, again, you can go through their uh, their non-conference schedule and pick that thing apart. But the bottom line is they're winning baseball games, and we're not, not with the same frequency, and it's not even close. And you look at their offensive numbers. They're exceptionally gaudy. And so, yeah, we're going to have to go out there and do a good job. We're going to have to keep the ball down. We're going to have to play good defense. Not going to have to give them – uh, extra bases or extra outs, and we have struggled with every every aspect of that. Even last night against Samford, we did. We made things harder than they had to be because we couldn't, you know, complete a couple of routine plays. You know, those are the things that you know, especially at this point in the season. It's not the first two weeks, right? And I understand we've had to move some guys around or whatever. And you know, Connor Isaac hadn't taken a ton of reps at third base, and that's a veteran ball player, and you feel like he'll be okay. But you know, here we are getting ready to go into um, you know, the month of April and some of the more basic things of baseball kind of elude us. It's frustrating. And you can't – it doesn't matter what you write or what you say. People are going to find fault in it. You know, it's almost like we catch strays from all this stuff. But uh, we endure. We endure. The dude abides, man. We're going to keep rolling through. Uh, as I told you guys before, I will be at every Mississippi State baseball game home or away the remainder of this season, no matter how long that lasts, because it's important to me. It's not just there, you know, because of the fact that Hey, I love college baseball. I love Mississippi State baseball. I got a job to do. And I take it very seriously. Everybody else can check out if they want to, but your good friend and host is not going to. Win, lose, or draw, I'll be there. And we'll provide you with some, uh, some insight and some intel. Perhaps you can't get anywhere else. Because it's the thing, you know, it's so funny. And people are going to think I'm taking a shot. Maybe I am. You know, it's like you watch the same game everybody else does on television, Right? And so what are you going what, what are the, what kind of insight can they bring if they're watching the same broadcast you are? I mean, you saw it, right? So I think you got to be there. There's nothing like being there. Period. We take a lot of pride in that. Speaking of people that take pride in what they do, our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Man, I got an exciting announcement for you guys too. And uh, many of you have wondered about this. And this is a really cool thing. There are new items on the Bulldog Burger Company menu. I love it. I love a restaurant that's not afraid to try some new things, right? Maybe you run them as a special and you kind of see how things go, but here's the deal, right? New items for you. The chicken bacon ranch sliders. I'm going to try those this week. Fried chicken, Monterey Jack cheese, bib lettuce, uh, ranch aioli, and candied bacon. I, I, where do I sign up? Can I go now? And this perhaps is uh, the thing I'm most excited about. The barbecue grilled cheese sandwich. A pulled pork grilled cheese sandwich, barbecue sauce, pickled red onion, and pepper jack cheese. I will not be getting red onion on mine. You know how I feel about onions. But it's worth your, your opportunity. If you're an onion person, maybe get my onions and yours. Then we have the new Mississippi barbecue burger. Really excited about this one, too. Pulled pork, barbecue sauce, pepper jack cheese, jalapeno, and crispy onions. You can have my onions, but I'm going to get extra jalapenos. And then the pretzel bites, served with queso fondue and spicy brown mustard. How about that? 
How about that? So next time you're in, maybe you're a Bulldog Burger Company veteran and you're like, hey, I know what I'm going to get. Well, they've kind of added some confusion to things. Now you're thinking, well, maybe I should get this. Now, also, I want to let you guys know, too, those of you that love live music, you're going to be able to see some at Bulldog Burger Company in Tupelo. April 7th from 6 to 9, local performers, and maybe if you're in the Tupelo area, you know them, Hannah and Carly are going to be at Bulldog Burger in Tupelo. Cat Hat Vodka sponsoring the event. Going to be a super cool thing there. Going to have live music more often there in Tupelo. They've got a venue they can do it. And um, so as as things are attached, you know, we're, we're going to let you know. If things are get scheduled or whatever, we'll let you know about that. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. And uh, we'll have some new tap takeovers coming up soon, too. So we'll share that with you. Always something new and exciting at Bulldog Burger Company. I'm thinking about those uh, new sliders Right here and now. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a quick look at last night's ball game. And yes, I know it was Sanford. I know, I know. Uh, you may recall last year, Sanford beat us 8-6. to six. They hit two grand slams in the ball game and built an 8 nothing lead. And we just simply couldn't come back. Terrible. Well, we didn't have that type of adversity, but we did have to come back twice during this ball game. And considering how we've played this year, it should come as no surprise, really. And listen, I'll be honest, Samford has been a very solid mid-major program. Uh, of course, Casey Dunn uh, moved on from there. But, uh, but anyway, uh, so, you know, Evan Sierra gets a start. He didn't pitch this weekend. That should have been a hint and a half for us. We knew that Lofton was going to be moving to the weekend. You wondered who'd be taking over. Would it be Colby Holcomb? It's Evan Sierra. And it, and it is a bullpen game. I thought we managed it pretty well. But let's get, get going here. Sierra comes out, uh, very first pitch, uh, gets behind 2-0 here in this situation. But we get a ground out from Staten. Davis strikes out swinging. That's a good-looking player, too, that Davis kid. Uh, Klein singles to left field. And you know what? That's what you do. You want the guy to go out there and pound his own with two strikes because what are, what are two out walks? They're of the devil. And then we walk Steele of the devil. And we get Anderson to strike out looking. So we have some first inning adversity here. But I think, you know, the biggest at bat in this first inning is the one that closes it, the strikeout of Anderson. We get ahead 0-2 here, and we end up working full here. And he, get, he fouls off a couple pitches. And then we're able to get him on the breaking ball. And it says a lot about Sierra's moxie. In that situation with a couple of guys on, you want to get back into the dugout with no run scored. And you know he's looking fastball. And maybe you can't finish him with a fastball. Maybe you can't. But you drop in that breaking ball for a strike, and you get him. I thought it was a great moment. And, of course, uh, keeps them off the scoreboard. At right, bottom of one, uh, Larry grounds out to the pitcher. We're, we're first pitch swinging a lot. We're being aggressive early in counts in this ballgame. Uh, they got a freshman on the mound that uh, hadn't pitched a whole lot, but uh, had a couple of wins under his belt. But we Larry grounds out. better than grounds out the first, and then – Hines doubles to right field, absolutely hammered this baseball. And then the uh, the throw in over is over the cutoff man, and so we take third there. Then they walk Chance to walk Hancock, so we got the bases loaded here, and Kellum comes up. And, and here is the criticism that I'll offer of Kellum Clark right here. Okay, number one, with a guy like him, we need him to mash. But back-to-back four-pitch walks, I got to take a pitch here, Kellum. I, number 11, I got to take a pitch here. Base is loaded, and obviously Kellum's got to be an RBI producer for us, and, and you know he has the ability to hit the long ball there. You hit a grand slam there, things are great. I just think the better baseball play here is, you know what, let's be patient. Because the bases are loaded. 
know, he's not going to be able to bury a breaking ball. And it's a young guy out there, too, kind of knowing the situation, the personnel. So I don't like being aggressive right here on his first pitch. I mean, and granted, if you're up there hunting the fastball and you get a first pitch fastball, you're probably going to jump on it. But that said, back-to-back four-pitch walks, I got to make him throw me a strike. That's just me. And I don't know if that's Callum. I don't know if it's Jake. I don't know if that's just something that was kind of predetermined. It's like, hey, if you get a fastball early on, because I don't know the book on the kid, right? Uh, but I just think when, when a guy is struggling the way he is and he's got some adversity here, because Hines rocked him, and then he didn't throw a strike the rest of the inning. So we don't score. Missed opportunity there. And that's baseball, but uh, you'd like to be a little more patient there at the plate. All right, top of second, Hal flies out to center. Bennett is then hit by a pitch on a 2-1 count, and Walton homers to right center. And right now, a lot of you are thinking, here we go again. Sanford's a team, it's an, they're, a, they're, a, um, they're a trajectory swing team, right? That's, that's what they do. They're going to go up there and try to hit home runs. That, that is a, the crux of their offense, right? They're a launch angle team. And they get us here. Salvaldin pops up to the catcher. Staten singles up the middle. Davis and singles a shortstop. And we get Klein to fly out of it. So, again, traffic on the bases and back-to-back innings. So, we kind of navigate through some trouble here. But uh, the, the big fly hurts us. So, a 2 nothing early lead for Sanford. State comes right back. And while this was a good inning, it probably could have been better. Uh, Connor Isaac singles to the shortstop and then still second. And that's a big guy getting down the line there. I, I thought that Sanford's catcher was a bit of a liability defensively. Uh, we've had some struggles with that as well. I would have run it well on him. Uh, Jordan then singles to right center, and uh, good good night for the kid last night. And he's still second, and uh, we run a little bit of a double steal there, and Isaac steals home. Forsyth then walks. They lift Newman for Turner Thompson. Larry flies out the center, DJ tags and takes third, and Ledbetter on the fielder's choice there uh, gets the run home. And then Hines strikes out swinging. We end up having to throw it down. But uh, We've tied the ball game here. But you always look at the situation here when the lower third of the order turns it back over with runners on base to the leadoff guys. Uh, you'd like to think that you can get those runs home. We weren't able to do that. All right, we bring in uh, uh, Graham Eintema for Evan Sierra. So Sierra goes two. And uh, decent, decent, right? First college start, you're not going to be too, too judgmental of that. And, and Evan's been really good for us at times this year. It's going to be some up and down with young guys. I mean, that's just the reality of college baseball, really any sport. We bring in Eintema, and um, the, the deal with Graham is it's all been about throwing strikes. Simple as that. Usually, Graham is his own worst enemy. When he gets in trouble, it's because he hadn't executed pitches. Pretty good start here. We get still to ground out to short on an 0-2 count. Anderson and flies out to left. Then we walk Howe on four pitches. Two out walks are of the devil. And then we pick him off. So we work out there, but uh, you got to think, hey, we're pretty efficient, those first two hitters, and then we walk a guy. And, and again, I don't know the book. I don't know the scouting report on how, but I can't believe it's walking. All right, bottom of third, they bring Holyfield for Thompson. It was a bullpen night for Sanford, too. Uh, Chance pops up to second. Hancock pops up to the pitcher, and then Clark – Grounds out in the second. So a very quiet inning for the Bulldogs there in the third. Uh, in the fourth, we have some issues here. First pitch is grounded hard to uh, Connor Isaac. He picks it up clean, and he chops and chops and chops and pats the glove and pats the glove and pats the glove, and he overthinks it. And every time that you see that happen, 
the throw is high. You know why it is? And I'll tell you why, because I'm a baseball guy. It's because you get higher when you chop and chop and chop and chop and chop. Like, how many times you see a guy go down, pick up a ground ball, and he throws the ball kind of from a crouching position, more of an athletic position? When you're standing up like that and you're gaining ground, chopping toward first base, you get higher and the throw goes high. I don't make the rules. That's just how it works. Luke tried to do a good job there, but uh, not much we can do, you know. And, again, you, you want to chop and kind of gain ground toward first base to kind of settle yourself. And he hadn't had a lot of reps at third base, but that that's something right there that didn't uh, – you know, that's on Isaac, and he'll tell you the same. Walton then strikes out looking. Salvo strikes out swinging. We get state and the fly out to right center. So we had the error here. Didn't come back to bite us. Uh, but it's a play you got to make. It's a play you got to make. All right, bottom of four. Again, kind of quiet here for state. Isaac uh, flies out to center field. And then Jordan doubles to left center, and he absolutely murdered this baseball. Basically, I don't know, the last 50, 60 feet, this thing rolled to the wall. It wasn't like it was just some line shot that took two bounces. This thing was absolutely smoked. So it's a, it's a one-out double, and you think, okay, let's get him around. And then Forsyth flies out to left center. We tag and take third, and then Amani Larry grounds out to the shortstop. So we strand the runner there. Top of five. We get in some trouble here. It's a four-pitch walk to Davis. Now, rather than let him work through it, Chris goes ahead and pulls him. And again, it's a bullpen game, so you got some guys ready. I like the decision to go ahead and make it now. Let's go ahead and lift him now. We bring in Brock Tapper, who has been very competitive for State. He gets Klein to strike out looking. Still then reaches on a fielder's choice. It's two outs, and we think, okay, we're ready to get out of this thing. Anderson then singles to left, still goes to second. Not a big deal, right? Well, the next thing you know, it's uh, it's a throwing error at third. Now, we charge it to Isaac, but I, I will submit to you Hunter Hines should have made this play, and I believe Hunter would probably agree with you. I don't know if it's a situation the footwork wasn't right or we didn't reach for it. It was a low throw, right? Connor Isaac's got to throw a strike to first, but when they don't, you got to be able to dig that thing out, and we didn't. And the ball gets loose, and the circus comes to town, and the run scores. And then the next thing you know, there's a bit of a rundown. And rather than executing the rundown, and you make one throw, run the guy all the way back and tag him out, right? Instead, we throw it back and forth, and then the runner gets loose. We throw home. The throw beats him. Luke grabs it, and then doesn't tag him. And the ball rolls loose. So it's two runs there. And that's happened to us multiple times this year. You got to fix it. You got to fix it. I mean, this is not you triple SA baseball. The fact that this, this kind of stuff, this Mickey Mouse stuff can't continue to happen. Period. You can't. And you get a throw home. And I don't know if it's a situation where we're, we're worried about a hitter getting downhill on us or a runner getting downhill on us or not. You got to get that ball on your glove. You got to tuck it away with your throwing hand and you got to make that tag. You got to brace for impact and make the tag. Sometimes you got to swipe. I get it. I know. I used to play behind the plate, but the reality of it is. That only happens one or two times a year. It's hap- it seems like it's happened to us more than it has. But, um, you know, when a guy throws a strike to the plate, you got to be able to make that play. You simply have to. And then we get Bennett to ground out at short. So, you know, so young uh, Brock Tapper comes in and does a pretty good job for us here and should have been out of the inning without any damage done. But instead, it's two runs. So we gift them two runs now. Now it's a 4-2 ball game in middle innings. We respond, though. Give the Bulldog Bats some credit here. They respond. They bring in this Clevenger kid uh, who looks looks like a pitcher. 
He strikes out Ledbetter and then gets Hines. Uh, kind of cued this ball here. Basically, I mean, we're a millisecond away from being a back-to-back case here, but they've got the shift on. And Hines has a good job here of just kind of getting the bat to the ball on a change. And uh, he had been fooled earlier in the bat. He learns kind of on the fly here. And because the shift is on, it's just kind of a weak grounder out towards third, and he makes it with no throw. That's, you know, the, the way to get people out of that shift is to change your, you know, change the spray chart, right? You got to go out there and push that ball the other way. I don't know if I want Hunter Hines doing a lot of that. I want that kid mashing, but this situation works out. And while it didn't look pretty, it's effective. And it shows good back control from Hunter Hines. All right, Chance and singles to right center, which pushes Hines to third. Now you've got runners on the corners, and then Chance is like, I'll get in a scoring position too. So we take second base, and again, catcher at Sanford, it's, it's an interesting deal, right? We know from experience, when you can't control the running game, people run at will, and we were able to do that some last night. Uh, then Hancock walks, it loads the bases. Kellen Clark comes up again, and uh, first pitch swinging, we foul one back. Gets to be an 0-2 pitch, and then we get an infield fly. So, not a great night for Callum. He hit the ball well over the weekend, and uh, nobody stays hot all the time. But uh, a couple of big situations with the bases loaded there, and, and Callum didn't come through for us. He will. Uh, but, you know, that was an at-bat right there. You could tell that he was very frustrated when it was over. And I, I'm a huge Callum Clark fan. I don't worry about Callum. There's going to be some ball games out there to Callum win for us. You may recall earlier this year he walked one off in the ninth inning for us. All right, they bring in Fryman for Clevenger and uh, to face Connor Heisek, and they walk him. And then the run scores here, and then DJ steps up and hammers a double down the left field line. And two run score. You get ahead 2-0 in the count, you can be selective, and that's what happens here. You're looking for a pitch in a spot that you can hammer. He gets one on a 2-2 count, rips it in the left field, two-run score. It's now a 5-4 ball game. Forsyth and strikes out looking. However, the Bulldogs respond with three runs in there and have their first lead of the evening. We bring in Aaron Nixon here, and, you know, they're kind of quietly, slowly bringing him back. You know, his most extensive outing in the uniform did a pretty good job here. We get a line out to right, and then Salvo strikes out swinging, and then we hit Staten by the pitch. He's still second. Davis grounds out the second. I guess we can kind of live with that HBP, but you'd like a cleaner inning, right? You get a guy like him, a former All-American, you, you need to get some one, two, three innings. You need to sit people down in order. You don't need to add all this trepidation to your life. All right, but they get out of it with, uh, without surrendering the run here. Now, Watkins comes in for Fryman for Sanford, and he immediately walks Amani Larry. They try to pick him off, and the ball gets loose. And uh, The only reason Larry didn't come around to third is because the first baseman uh, from Sanford couldn't get off of him in time. Led better than single speed to right side, drives in Larry. It's now a 6-4 ball game. Hines pops up to the shortstop. They go ahead and pull Watkins. And uh, you, you may recall that um, the pitching coach from Sanford basically sprinted out to the mound after that ill-fated pickoff attempt. And uh, you kind of had the feeling then, even though Watkins was uh, you know, the, the senior left-hander, senior's not always a great thing in college baseball, right? Because if they're great players, they're already gone. But uh, Watkins kind of showed why he's throwing the midweek game. Uh, Led better than still second. Chance flies out the center and Hancock grounds out to short. So we get the one run across, but it should have been and probably could have been a bigger inning for State. Our top seven and still rolling with Nixon here. Uh, Klein singles to right field and we get around it. We uh, get the fielder's choice. We tried to turn two here. It was kind of a, a hard chopper back to the mound. We go to second, and we can't complete the double play. The throw is on target. The guy just beat it down the line. 
Anderson strikes out looking, and then Howe reaches on a fielder's choice as we force a runner at second. So you get the leadoff single, but, you know, nobody ever gets past first base, even though a couple other balls are put in play. So, again, good outing for Nixon. Not great, but a good one. Good one. All right, bottom of seven, they bring in this Gato kid, and he was outstanding. I mean, absolutely outstanding. If he goes in the portal, maybe we should give him a look here. We go one, two, three. He strikes out Clark, Isaac, and Jordan. And every one of these situations are deeper counts. And then he strikes all three guys out swinging. Really, really good effort for him. We'll tip the cap to him before they lose the ball game, but uh, certainly a high point for them. All right, Sam, for top of eight, we bring in KC Hunt, and KC is clearly settling in in that middle relief, long relief role. I think that's where he fits best. I think that's where he can help the team. That's where we have the most need, right? And I like him in these two inning stands. We've talked about this in the past. I think you're getting him three would be great, but every time it seems we get to that third inning, and sometimes it's the fourth, you know, things kind of break down a little bit. But uh, but KC has been shoving. And, again, you start thinking about if you get a starter that can get you six, KC can get you two. Maybe that gets you to Nixon. Maybe that's a winning recipe. And you start thinking about what Garth's going to do, right? You know, so we'll see how that goes. But you're starting to kind of identify some things here. My fear, as I said on uh, Gene's page earlier, my fear is we'll figure some things out, but it'll be, we'll be in too big of a hole to dig out of. That's what I worry about. That's what makes this weekend so important. All right, so uh, Casey comes in. We get a line out to left on a full count. We strike out Walton, who homered earlier. And then uh, they pinch hit with Dreyer in place of Salvo. He grounds out the short. So one, two, three inning for KC. You love it. You love to see it. All right, bottom of eight. And again, State, nice inning here. Uh, they bring in Patsky to pitch for Gato. Forsyth grounds out to the pitcher. Larry then walks and takes second. Ledbetter then walks. And then Hines singles through the left side, pushes a run across. Runner's now first and second. 7-4 ball game. Rice Highfield goes in and runs for uh, for Hines. They walk Bryce Chance on four pitches. Mershon takes his place. And, all, you know, the game, basically, you know, it's a 7-4 ball game. You start thinking, you know, within this bullpen, anything's possible. But to add some insurance runs late, that is always so important. It always seems like if you score in the eighth, if you have a lead and you score in the eighth, it seems like, you know, the chances of you winning are like 7,000, right? It seems that way. All right, Hancock and singles up the middle, and uh, Ledbetter comes around and scores, and uh, bases are loaded here. It's an 8-4 ball game. And then uh, Kellum Clark comes out. Oh, the pass ball, excuse me. Pass ball here, and then we get a run home. Kellum comes up again with runners in scoring positions, strikes out swinging. Frustrating night for him. Uh, we're not going to belabor the point because Kellum's had some big swings for Mississippi State. And, again, not everybody stays hot. I mean, it's just that's just baseball. Isaac then grounds out the short. So, State pushes across three in the inning, kind of removes all doubt about this ball game. And all your pinch runners uh, find a spot defensively here. And uh, Casey back out there gets a one, two, three inning. State and flies out the right. Davis strikes out looking. Klein grounds out the second baseman. Ball game over. Drive home safely. Let's kind of look inside the numbers here. Your offensive hero, in many respects, D- Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. 
And Tacovas has first wear comfort. So no break in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to Tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit... Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y, official.com, forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy, E-U-F-Y. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. DJ Jordan. Uh, Dakota Jordan, really nice ball game for him. Other, up until that strikeout where everybody struck out, uh, he was absolutely on fire. Absolutely good to see the kid have some big swings. Three for four on the night, a couple RBIs, and a run scored. Uh, Hunter Hines, three for five last night, kind of quiet, right? Because you have the little cued single and you have the double early. But three for five night for him, a, 
with a run and the uh, RBI. So, you know, good night, right? I mean, good night for him. It doesn't always have to be fireworks, right? Popcorn. Uh, but stayed 10 hits on the night, uh, scored nine runs, and, of course, uh, gifted some base runners on the night. But, um, yeah, pitching-wise, again, you look at the numbers. I thought we managed it pretty well. Evan Sierra, again, two innings, four hits, two runs. And uh, the big tank, obviously, the big fly there gets to you. But a couple of Ks, uh, the one hit by pitch. So it's like you look at this, Sierra, not Bradley Lofton, who's going to the weekend, but Sierra goes out there and gets you some innings, didn't pitch over the weekend, and we knew it was going to be a bullpen night. Grandma Einchima comes in, no hits for him, but uh, two walks there. we got to get better with that. But uh, all things considered – that's pretty good outing for him. And I've been hard on that kid. I mean, I have been. Probably of all the kids that we've talked about, I've probably been probably the most hard on him. So I'll tip of the cap to him. we got to do a little bit better here. The, the three walks all come in the first four innings. Brock Tapper comes in, uh, gives you an inning pitch, one hit, one run. And, again, should have been out of the inning. Defense let him down. And he's credited with the victory. Aaron Nixon goes two, two innings, allows one hit, a couple punches, uh, no walks, did have the one HBP, which I guess is an improvement of what he had earlier. And KC Hunt credited with his first save of the year. Two hits, excuse me, two innings pitch, no hits, no runs, no walks, two Ks. So good for KC. Again, I know it's Sanford. Okay, so no need to message me. I'm well aware of who we played last night. But it's good to see us be in the zone. We lost six hits and four runs. And, of course, we gifted them too. Should have been a much better ball game. We struck out nine. Walked just three. But, uh, you know, again, not a dominant performance by any stretch of the imagination, but we get the win. And this is a team in desperate need of wins. But, again, it's also, too, about defining some roles. And, uh, again, I think we figured out where KC can help us. We're getting Nixon back. Of course, uh, there's a lot of discussion about uh, Kate Smith and Parker Sinet being available this weekend. How much they pitch? Don't know. We'll see. And we'll find out later today what our rotation is going to look like for the weekend. But, uh, you know, we win the ball game. Not going to sit here and tell you it's a big win. Every win is big when you're struggling. But State now 15-11. and 11, Sanford drops 13-12. and 12. Uh, and, and it's like people say, well, you know, it's, it's a midweek game. Yeah, imagine losing it, right? Imagine losing in a ball game last night. There were times last night, especially in the fifth, when the circus came to town and we go down 4-2. I'm, start, I'm already thinking about my postgame press conference questions. I'm thinking, you know, what in the world is going on? And granted, we lost to Sanford last year, and all due respect to those Birmingham Bulldogs, in my estimation, that was a low point in the season. You know, we're fighting and scratching and clawing, trying to find a way to get to Hoover. And we go over there, and even though it's a non-conference game, we got knocked around the ballpark and get down 8 nothing over there. The only appearance we had in Hoover, Alabama, last year. To, to me, it, to, I think I was the only Mississippi State media guy there. And to me, it was the low point in the season. Because it wasn't a good Sanford team. It wasn't that team that we saw in the regional here a couple years ago. Uh, but anyway, you get the win. You play the game to win. We won the ball game. We'll put it in a win column, and then we'll move on and get ready for South Carolina. All right, time for today's top ten list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. That number will get you to Blair Chandler. My friend, your friend, a friend to all those in need. Many of you have considered, you know what? One day I want to buy a house. Maybe you're a young person, you've gotten your job, maybe you're getting ready to get married, getting ready to buy a home, and maybe you don't, maybe you don't come from a family of affluence. Maybe you don't come from a family that um, kind of knows how things uh, 
Hogo. Maybe you've had parents, perhaps, that have been rent-on people their whole lives or just renters. Maybe people like to move around. And you need somebody to help you navigate through a complicated process. Go with Blair Chandler, who's got 21 years of experience. Top 1% close ratio in the country in back-to-back years. Works at Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable mortgage lender. A lot of people out there want your business. Blair is putting together a resume and a career worthy of your business. Give Blair a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And if you mention him, you heard about him on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. We have had multiple Boneyard listeners that have had great experiences with Blair. Every so often, he'll hit me up. He goes, hey, I got another Boneyard line loan in the pipeline. This is not just uh, you know something we talk about. This is a real service for you. And again, I encourage you, give Blair a chance to serve you at closewithblair.com. All right, uh, Roy had this great idea. Roy um, is a very interesting character. Roy reminds that the Michael Jordan movie comes out on Friday, and uh, we'll probably go see it Sunday, probably. You know, we played Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Maybe we go Saturday night. I don't know. It depends on what the kids got available. Uh, this kid of mine, Ian, has m- as many tennis shoes as maybe Imelda Marcos had high heels. I mean, every time I turn around, he works at Bulldog Burger Company. He makes good use of his money. We had some custom Nike show up earlier this week. I don't know how many pair of Air Force One he has. I don't know how many pair of Jordans he has. He has some Kyrie Irving shoes. I, I don't keep up, okay? But it's all about the shoes, right? And uh, we were part of that generation, all, all of us from the 1900s. And Roy says, I don't know if we can verify this claim. I think we take his word for it. The first pair of Air Jordans came out in 1985. Roy was working at Foot Locker back then. And Roy bought the very first copy, or excuse me, very, very first pair on the Mississippi Gulf Coast because he was an employee. And so he set them aside, had them all picked out. And then he bought them, bought an advanced uh, pair. And so congratulations to Roy. I mean, we all have to have something in life that we were first at. Roy was the first guy on the Mississippi Gulf Coast to have Air Jordan tennis shoes. So to commemorate that, we're going to go back to 85, today and Friday. And today, we're talking metal, because this is right in my wheelhouse, right? And the heavy metal has changed a lot over the years. And so in the mid-80s, music was changing. In a lot of respects, because all of a sudden we had this new genre of rock music called thrash. And really in the mid-80s is when things began to really get going. Now Metallica, of course, the godfathers of thrash. There were some other bands back then like Hallow's Eve and people like that, Corrosion of Conformity. A lot of people back there uh, kind of doing the same thing, but things got faster and heavier and louder. And so in the middle of all this, you know, you had kind of, you know, hair metal, as they call it, which I think in many respects is disrespectful. But glam metal, whatever you want to call it, at the time we called it heavy metal, was in its heyday. Dominated MTV, dominated the radio, and our parents hated it, which made us love it that much more. So here are your top heavy metal songs from 85. Now I picked them off the albums that I think are probably the most important, and I'll explain why. Number 10. I guess before I go, before I get into this list, I got to give a tip of the cap to Ingve Malmsteen, too. We didn't we did include him on the list, but things were kind of changing, too. We'd never heard anything quite like that. Okay, so there you go. All right, number 10 is uh, Wasp. Now, Blackie Lawless, of course, joined London after Nikki Six left to join Motley Crue or to found Motley Crue. 
And so Wasp was really just kind of getting going. And Wasp, of course, was, you know, they were a California band, but they weren't pretty boys. They still wore leather. They wore makeup. They had long hair. They teased it up. But their message was much different. And so in many respects, probably the quintessential Wasp song, it's Blind in Texas off the album The Last Command. Wasp. Uh and you can figure out what WASP is. WASP is actually an acronym. I won't tell you what it is. You'll have to Google that for yourself. All right, number nine, KISS. Now, KISS was back. You know, of course, KISS, the forerunners of the glam scene. You know, they wore the makeup, the, the high heels, everything. So you can blame them and Angel uh, for all of that. But um, ironically, Angel wore white and KISS wore black, right? But uh, Kiss was back, and uh, the album Asylum was released in 85. And I submit to you, of their, quote, glam albums, this one might have been the thinnest. But they had the great track, Tears Are Falling. That's your number nine song from Kiss. You wanted the best, you got the best. Number eight, second album from a band that uh, eventually became part of the, quote, Big Four in Thrash. And we've got three of the Big Four mentioned on today's list. Because, again, music was changing. It was changing, and there were a lot of bands, especially from Northern California, that kind of rebelled against the Hollywood scene. And so people were ready for something with a little more know, darkness to it, kind of, getting, kind of getting back to Black Sabbath. So it was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to get deeper, darker, and heavier, not just in our song composition but their lyrical content and so the band slayer and you see a lot of people today wearing slayer shirts you couldn't tell you a single slayer song or album or a member of the band but it's the second album from them it's hell awaits and we're going to go with the title track hell awaits and uh, slayer the album art for slayer would scare you to death you can imagine back in the mississippi pine belt back then you, you probably I, I, I suspect bebop record shop probably had to sell Slayer albums from behind the counter. Number seven, we talk about the big four, and we're going to have three of these in a row. Metallica didn't make our list because they didn't have an album released in 85. Of course, they were still kind of finding themselves a little bit. Uh, you know, Kurt Hammett eventually left Exodus and joined Metallica. So they were in the studio kind of figuring out what they wanted to do next. But number seven, the great album from Anthrax, Spreading the Disease, we're going to go with Madhouse. Madhouse is your number seven track. I like Anthrax. They, didn't, they never took themselves too seriously, uh, but they produced some great songs. And back in, in the early to mid-'80s, they were really kind of the, the silly thrash band, like Slayers out there, you know, Rain and Blood and all that kind of stuff. And then um, the guys in Anthrax actually recorded a rap song called I'm the Man. Different. Different. Number six, the debut album from Dave Mustaine's, what started as a solo project when he left Metallica. He, Dave's an alcoholic, and he's in recovery now, but Dave, uh, Dave was kicked out of Metallica because uh, he was a self-destructive person. And so Megadeth, in many respects, in most people's uh, estimation, probably the number two thrash band, Metallica 1, Megadeth 2. So we got our very first taste of Megadeth. The number six today, the title track from Killing Is My Business and My Business Is Good. That's number six. There's some really cool stuff on there too. This is like before before they really kind of refine the sound, so it's a little bit raw. But obviously, you know, first albums are always like that. But um, 
Good track. Number number five, a band that eventually kind of crossed over from New Wave and Radio Rock and then became a true hard rock band, thanks to Rick Rubin. It's The Cult. Now, The Cult Love Album was really the first steps towards becoming a major rock act. Then there was Electric, and then, of course, the great album, Sonic Temple. Uh, after that, Wild Hearted Son. I mean, The Cult's amazing. Ian Asbury's amazing. I named my youngest son after Ian Asbury. Uh, but the cult, She Sells Sanctuary, which I think is a timeless classic off that Love album. And a lot of people found the cult when they began to play Love Removal Machine as a video on MTV. We fell in love with the Electric album, and you go back and find uh, Love, and I hope that you do too. But the cult, number five, She Sells Sanctuary. Number four, and it's going to be nothing but but uh, VO5 and Revlon the rest of the way. Number four, a band that was really kind of underappreciated at the time. Now, George Lynch, obviously, was one of the best guitar players in the industry at the time. Uh, the songs at the time, it's, um, there was some hit and miss with the songwriting. And uh, Don Dockin, of course, I've seen him recently, and, and poor Don, obviously, at the end of his career, uh, having to, to travel, of course, and uh, not just for the love and joy of music, right? But um, Don's had some issues, and I wish him the best. But um, under lock and key, a lot of people believe that's kind of the debut album, of course, uh, it's not, I mean, excuse me, the breakout album. You know, of course, uh, Dokken hits it, uh, you know, at Breaking the Chains, or Lightning Strike, excuse me. And then uh, Tooth and Nail, which is amazing. It's a little bit underproduced. I- I'd like to hear it remastered, even again. And then, of course, Under Lock and Key kind of pushed Dokken from being an opening band to being a headliner. And then uh, my favorite Dokken album is uh, Back for the Attack. But uh, Under Lock and Key, there's a lot of high moments on this. It's one of those albums, too, you can just kind of let it play through. But it's in my dreams. In my dreams, it's still the same. Your love is strong. It still remains. Number three, and you're probably surprised that I have this band this low due to my relationship with their music throughout my lifetime. But it's Motley Crue's Home Sweet Home at number three off the Theater of Pain album. You say, Steve, you're a Motley guy. That's true. I have to push my bias aside, though. Of course, this is the first album after Motley's singer Vince Neil had the wreck. And Razzle Dingley died, and some other people were injured seriously. Their lives were changed. Vince probably should have gone to prison, bought his way out of it, paid restitution as best as he could to his families. And so the album was very disjointed. Now, of course, I loved it at the time because of the fact we didn't know if we were going to have another Motley album with Vince as a singer. We thought Motley may be over. And so every month we'd go by Hit Parader Magazine or Cream or Circus or whatever and try to catch up what's going on with Vince. We didn't have social media. We didn't have uh, cable TV, most of us at the time. So we never knew. We, we always go read each magazine and see if there was an update on what was going on with Motley Crue. I'm from the 1900s, man. Things changed. It's not like today where information's available immediately. And so the album was very disjointed and uh, it showed. The band was also a wreck, and, um, and I'm, no pun intended there. But Home Sweet Home is a classic ballad, and uh, Tommy Lee wrote it. It was amazing. There's a couple other tracks on there I really like. Of course, the cover of Smoking in the Boys' Room is really good. And then uh, Tonight, We Need a Lover Tonight. That's a good one, too. Raise Your Hands to Rock's a good one. But uh, Home Sweet Home, a timeless classic from Motley Crue, is your number three song. And number two, this is just before this band kind of took over the world. 
It's Bon Jovi's second album. And the first album, of course, was self-titled. The second album is called 7800 Degrees Fahrenheit, which is the heat in which rock melts. Right? And, of course, it's, don't, you geologists, don't message me. Okay, don't. All right, but it's, uh, we're going to go with In and Out of Love. And there's some, some great tracks on here. This is the album for you young bucks. This is the album that came out just before Slippery When Wet. And so Bon Jovi went out with Rat that year. It's interesting how it all worked, right? So Ozzy takes Motley out when, I, when Motley's got the, the uh, Too Fast for Love album. Then Motley becomes a headliner on Shout of the Devil. They take Rat out with them. Well, then Rat becomes a headliner. They take Bon Jovi out with them. Then Bon Jovi becomes a headliner on Slippery When Wet. They take Cinderella out with them. And then Cinderella becomes a headliner on the Long Cold Winter Tour. Many of us saw that show here in Starkville. So you kind of see how it all kind of developed here. But Bon Jovi, number two, In and Out of Love, 7800 Degrees Fahrenheit. Number one, and the homie Sam Denton will be happy about this. Number one, in 1985, the band Rat ruled the rock world. They were the biggest thing in rock. That Invasion of Privacy album, absolutely incredible. That is to follow up to Out of the Cellar, of course, with Round and Round on it. Uh, but Lay It Down is your number one song, which was probably the biggest hit off that album. But that album is great from start to finish. Absolutely great from start to finish. Uh, I think Rat is underappreciated. At the time, it was like everybody, everybody wore Rat shirts. I still wear a Rat shirt. Matter of fact, Sam Denton told me he saw me wearing a Rat shirt and said, I got to be friends with that guy. It's true, but it's kind of a revisionist history at times when people look back at the mid to late 80s and they don't give rat their due. Stephen Pearcey, the most distinctive voice in modern rock music at the time, very different. The range is different. But in 85, when that Invasion of Your Privacy tour came to the South, it was a sellout everywhere they went. Everywhere they went, rat was huge. They were on MTV. Um, and again, you go back and you look at those, uh, you know, those videos and they seem kind of cheesy. But I tell you, at the time, that's what we all wanted to do, man. You know, we were all wearing our mullets and, uh, you know, our, our denim jeans and hot top tennis shoes and some concert shirt. If we were lucky, we had a denim jacket or a leather jacket. But those, these guys were our heroes. We wanted to be like them because they were getting all the chicks and we weren't. And so Rat was the king of the crop back then. That's your top 10 list for today. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. You can find me on Twitter at ScoutSteveR. I'm on all forms of social media at ScoutSteveR. Find Roy, the keeper of the list, at Dogmatic. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find our great list over at Spotify, too, under that same username. Give Roy a follow. You'll be glad you did. And one of the cool things, too, if you find a list you like, share it for us. How about that? There are many of you that comment, and so I, I appreciate that. I get a lot of messages from people who say, hey, killer list today. Love this band. And so many of you have said, you know what, I've learned a lot through these lists, but I've also found some new bands that I love, and that's what we love to do too here on the show. So thanks, as always, for your support of the Top Ten List. All right, your next segment of the show is always brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution doing a tremendous job for a tremendous fan base. Go by and check them out. I was in there yesterday, picked up a uh, white 85 jersey for a family member. I won't tell you which one because I don't want you to message them. But uh, I love the selection there. I love the service there. I love the friendly faces. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.com. 
bsr.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 absolutely incomplete. And I went in there yesterday, and I signed most of their stock. So you can get signed copies of uh, all of my sports books there, and you can also purchase them online. So while you're looking for Mississippi State merch, you can pick up signed copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and Dogpile. I'll also tell you this. There are no more cases of Stark Villains to be purchased. The final ones were distributed over the weekend. So uh, most of the Stark Villain stock at Campus Bookmart has already been sold. Somebody bought them as a graduation gift. And so those have all been signed. So a handful of Stark Villains there, and of course Bookmart and Cafe downtown, you can find them there. But uh, be sure and think about that during your online order. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's look at South Carolina now. Going to be a tall task for your Diamond Dogs. And that's not in any way, you know, a reflection of South Carolina. It's more about us. It's about us. Now, listen, these guys can swing it. They can Let's get into some numbers here and just kind of look and see South Carolina. We kind of touched on this earlier. Uh, a very a very favorable non-conference schedule, shall we say. They're 24-2, and 6-0 and in the league. They've won four games in a row. They're 18-0 and at home, 5-2 and away, 1-0 and on neutral field. So this is a team that's accustomed to winning. They opened up sweeping a three-game set from UMass Lowell, and these scores were as lopsided as you would ever expect, 20-3, to 17-1, to and then 12-1. So these games, every single one of them, uh, would have qualified for the 10-run rule. I mean, my goodness, you score 49 runs in a weekend, uh, you're getting it done. I don't care who you're playing, and that's in cold weather, right? They didn't bounce back and beat uh, Winthrop. Bounce back is probably not the right phrase there. They keep it rolling here. They beat Winthrop 19-3. Then they play Queens of New York and beat them 12-0. Penn comes in from the Ivy League and has a very competitive weekend uh, there in Columbia. And if you've never been to Founders Park, I would submit to you it is the second best SEC stadium behind Duty Noble Field. It's really, really nice. It is. But uh, 7-4 and then a one nothing win on Saturday and 6-5 on Sunday. So very competitive games with Penn, you know, who is not routinely known as a baseball power. But the Gamecocks take all three of them. They didn't get – they blast North Carolina A&T 11-3, their first loss of the year, came on the road at Clemson, a 5-2 ball game there. They bounced back and beat them in Greenville 11-9 and then f- played the final game of the series in Clemson uh, – at. South Carolina against Clemson. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal. And they win that game 7-1. That's your, uh, the Greenville game is your neutral side game. But uh, they win a series two out of three. They get the Citadel 8-1 in a midweek game and then destroy USC Upstate 19-1 over in Greenville. Bethune-Cookman is your weekend opponent. They beat them 20-3 in 7, 8-5, and then 10-3. Bethune-Cookman. They get Presbyterian in a midweek game, 5-0. They get Georgia. Competitive game on Friday, excuse me, on Saturday, because they moved the Friday game, played a doubleheader on Saturday. They go to Athens, they take all three. 
5-4, The final two games end in seven innings. So 10-run rule, both of them. They didn't lose to Charlotte in a midweek game, 6-2. And then last weekend, they take the series in three games from Missouri, 9-8, Missouri, uh, one of the more surprising teams in the conference, and probably felt they should have won that game on Friday. They don't. And then get blasted on Saturday. And then the final game on Saturday, another doubleheader, it's a 12-inning affair, and they get it. So Missouri, I'm sure, feels like, hey, we should have won this series. They did not. And, of course, Missouri had that big sweep of Tennessee earlier this year. Uh, so, you know, Missouri, obviously, playing better baseball. But uh, South Carolina, even better. Maybe not much better, but even better. So, good weekend last weekend. They did midweek game on Tuesday, a 13-2 win. Uh, over the Citadel in seven innings. So you're not seeing, you know, uh, many games here that are pitchers' duels with South Carolina. They're swinging the bats exceptionally well. And uh, we're going to have to do a good job keeping the ball down because they will absolutely launch those balls out of the yard. Uh, curious to see what the weather looks like by the time we get there Friday. We know what's going to happen. You know, we should be able to play on Thursday without any issue whatsoever. So let's look at these, uh, look inside the numbers here. I'm going to pull up some national numbers here while we uh, do this because their home run numbers are absolutely crazy. And that's the thing. You know, just a couple of years ago, South Carolina was just, you know, battling and fighting and trying to get um, into the tournament. And they did, but didn't do much with it. And that's a – listen, Ray Tanner had some great years there at South Carolina. Uh, he absolutely did. There's no question about that. But it has been interesting ever since. So let's take a quick look here at uh, your team home run numbers. South Carolina leads the nation with 66 home runs. Florida is second with 61. And then, you know, you go down to Tennessee, it's tied uh, for seventh. But um, a lot of teams that can really swing it. Georgia at 13, LSU 16, Alabama 20th in the country with 45 home runs. Ole Miss tied at 24 with 41, and then right behind them is Mississippi State with 40. So they have clubbed 26 more home runs than us. Now, granted, the quality competition hadn't been the same, but any time that you swing it like that, you're going to swing it with confidence, as well you should. So that, again, kind of illustrates what you should expect from this team. And they already have three guys with double-digit home runs. It all starts with Ethan Petrie, who's hitting 446. He's got three doubles, 12 home runs, 37 RBI right now. Uh, and, and you would say a lot of power-hitting teams, you know, you expect a lot of strikeouts. There is some swing and miss in this lineup, but it's not maybe what you'd expect. Braylon Wimmer, it feels like he's been there forever and a day, hitting 333. He's got six bombs, too, with 23 RBI. Uh, Gavin, I would say Casillas, but I think that's Casas. 14 bombs, which leads a team in 34 RBI. Uh, Talmadge, LaCroix, 313 average, couple bombs, 21 ribbies. Cole Messina, nine bombs, 31 RBI. Will McGillis with 10 uh, and 22 RBI. So a lot of guys in front of him, maybe not getting on base at the uh, frequency that perhaps they are with Petrie and, and Casas. Uh, Carson Horning, what a great baseball name. That is 288, three bombs, 17 RBI. And then Caleb Denny with four bombs and 30. So it's up and down the order. They have power everywhere in the order. Matter of fact, they have uh, six bombs on the bench 
Kevin Madden, one hit in 10 at-bats, and it was a bomb. Crazy. Three RBI. Uh, but, yeah, this is a team that's going to be able to swing it. Uh, as a team, they're hitting 300. So you're going to put the ball in play. we got to keep the ball down because they are, they're a team that's going to put the ball in play. As a team that struck out 238 times, their opponent's 275. And, again, there is an indictment against some of the teams they've played, but they're doing this in SEC play too. It's not like they just got fat on a bunch of G5 teams and teams that just barely qualified for D1 baseball. They smashed Georgia, who has routinely some of the best pitching in the country, and, um, of course, they kind of nip and tuck with Missouri, but you know those, most of those games are pretty high scoring. So we're going to have to play well. Now, 30 of 32 in stolen bases, and 13 of those stolen bases come from Braylon Wimmer, who is a perfect 13 of 13, and Caleb Denny is 8 for 9. I expect, because of our inability at times to control the running game, to see some guys try to take bases. And, again, 32 stolen bases, look at that and say, hey, they're stealing with confidence but it's by and large coming from two players. It's not up and down the order. Uh, but, you know, we have made some teams uh, become running teams because of our inability to control the running game. So, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, – you look at this order here, there's just there's not a lot of letdown in the order. Even in the bottom third of the order, these guys are putting the ball in play, and if you leave it up, they will absolutely hurt you. All right, pitching, the three regulars are Noah Hall, Jack Mahoney, and Will Sanders – um, Mahoney is 5-0 and on the year, six starts, one complete game, 38 and a third innings pitched. He's allowed just 10 runs on the year, all 10 of them earned, 41 strikeouts to eight walks. That's almost, well, it's just over 5-1. to one. You know, We talk about having a 3-1 to one strikeout to walk ratio being good. They're, he's 5-1. to one. Jack Mahoney, 2.87 ERA, 3-0 record. He has three no decisions. 31 and a third innings pitch. He's allowed 30 hits, so about a hit per inning. And also 10 runs, 10 earned runs allowed. Eight walks against 35. You see the numbers there, right? It's ridiculous. Will Sanders, 5.17 ERA, 2-1 record on the year, six starts, also has three no decisions. 31 and a third innings pitch also has allowed 30 hits. So there are they're giving up some base hits here, but it's difficult to string things together. Sanders is a guy that has had some problems with control. He has allowed 20 runs this year, uh, 12 walks against 37. But look at him. Of the starters, he has the worst strikeout-to-walk ratio, and he's 3-1, to one, which by and large people consider, you know, kind of, you know, that's the measuring line, right? He's also showed a propensity to give up the long ball. He has allowed a staff-high seven home runs. They've allowed 14 as a staff. He has given up seven of those. The one wild pitch and three hit-by-pitches. So we'll see those guys this weekend. Uh, you look at the relief stuff here. Uh, Kate Austin is a guy that's kind of been their primary reliever. 1.80 ERA in 10 appearances. has a 1-0 record uh, and has worked a one-inning stint in every game. Seven hits, two runs, uh, two earned runs, one walk to 17 Ks. Maybe not Maldonado, but close. We're going to see a legit closer with him. And uh, they've got some other guys too, like uh, – Eli Jerzenbeck and Matthew Becker have a lot, some extensive relief appearance here. Uh, we'll see those guys. But by and large, uh, this is a staff that's not walking an awful lot. Sanders leads the team with 12 walks. Uh, Matthew uh, Becker has allowed 10 walks on the year. He has a 2-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. But as a team, they've walked just 73. They're going to make you put the ball in play. 275 punch-outs. 
Uh, they've allowed 41 doubles, one triple, and 14 home runs, and teams are hitting 207 against them. Of the starters, Jack Mahoney has allowed the, the highest batting average of 250. But this is a team that has really kind of transformed itself here in recent years. They've worked a portal really hard. Uh, they processed some kids out, and they've come out and done a good job. And so we're going to have to play our best baseball. There's no question about it. They're also a team uh, that's pretty good defensively. Uh, Jonathan French, Evan Stone, Dylan Brewer, there's several names here that are perfect fielding-wise. Nicole Messina, 991 for him, and that's in 232 chances. He's made just two errors. Uh, Braylon Wimmer is a guy that does a lot offensively for them. He leads the team with five errors. He has a fielding percentage of 943. But he also has uh, been part of a seven-double play. So, again, there's just not a lot to look at here that makes you feel confident. I mean, again, it's not – it'd be one thing if it was just non-conference. But, uh, and, again, Georgia, Missouri, not top half of the SEC East, but it's still SEC quality competition. It absolutely is. And Missouri swept Tennessee. And there were a lot of people, including myself, who thought Missouri would go to South Carolina and surprise them, and they get swept. Looking at the conference numbers here – to kind of illustrate the point here, Ethan Petrie, six dingers in SEC play. So in six games, he's averaging a home run per game. Uh, Gavin Cassis with three bombs and Cole Messina with one. And that's among your regulars. And you get a little bit deeper, these pinch hitters, uh, they got 16 home runs against SEC pitching and 48 RBI. Uh, that will get it done. 36 walks against just 61 strikeouts. That's a ratio you certainly can live with. An on-base percentage as a staff, as a team, at 408 in SEC play. Now, 404 in stolen bases. So they haven't stolen as much in conference play. And, again, a lot of that's got to do with the quality of competition. But they're still 6-0 in the league. They haven't had to, to u- utilize the stolen base. Looking at their, uh, their weekend, guys, Noah Hall in SEC play has two starts and two wins. Uh, allow again allowing right at a hit per inning, but uh, just allowed three earned runs, 15 strikeouts to one walk in SEC play. In 14 innings of SEC play, he's walked one hitter. Jack Mahoney, 2.61 ERA, one and zero has the one no decision, uh, but nine hits in 10.1 innings pitched, nine Ks against four walks. Will Sanders, 7.84 ERA, 11 Ks against just seven walks, and he is allowed, uh, you know, a hit right at a hit per inning, but is also allowing almost a run per inning, and my opponents are hitting 237 against him. You know, so if you look at Will Sanders, you think, you know what, hey, uh, maybe we can get to that guy there. But, you know, the reality of it is, is that this is a team that appears to be very well-rounded and a team that's certainly capable of coming to Mississippi State uh, and sweeping us. No matter how good South Carolina is, no matter how confident they may be, this is all about us. We go out there and throw strikes, we got a chance to win some ball games. We go out there and we don't throw strikes, we're going to lose these ball games, or we're going to lose them in embarrassing fashion. Because of the fact you get behind these guys and you put them in advantage counts, they will absolutely make you pay for it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. These guys will absolutely make you pay. When you extend innings with errors, when you give them free passes and when you give them opportunities to get guys on base, they're going to be aggressive on the base pass and they're going to be guys that can put the ball in play. And we have not always shown the ability to defend the way we should. That's an important aspect of all this too. When the pitchers are getting ground balls, we have got to make plays behind them. And at times we've struggled to do that. It even happened last night. You know, looking at fielding percentage here, 
uh, just just because I, I'm because I'm interested. And if I'm interested, I figure you are too. You don't. You may not know this. The best fielding team in the country. It's LSU. That shouldn't be a surprise. It's LSU. Vanderbilt number twelve. We said that last weekend. I mean, they, they don't give you a whole lot either. You know, there were a couple balls last weekend that uh, maybe didn't go the way they expected, but uh, they're a team that plays you know exceptionally well uh, defensively. But uh, running through the numbers here and kind of seeing where we would go and all the where we would fit in all this, South Carolina 54th in the country defensively at 976. So, again, a, a good defense, not a great defense. And you start running through these Mississippi State numbers, and maybe we've been better as of late, but uh, we're still playing from behind here. And uh, two big errors last night. Again, I don't, I'm not going to be real critical of Connor Isaac. He hadn't taken a ton of reps over there. Uh, third, but Mississippi State, a team that uh, I guess the book on us is out, right? You just be patient, they'll either walk you, or if you put a ball in play, there's a chance they're not going to field it. And you hate that that's our reputation, but, you know, the numbers are the numbers. We're 232nd in the country in defense and fielding percentage at 960. And in case you're wondering, and I know you are, you're thinking, we'll see how far is that from last. There's only 295 teams in the country playing D1 baseball. So it's not just about pitching. It's not just about defense. There's a lot of things we have to do better. We absolutely have to do better. It's, it's crazy. It really is. It really is. And we really thought that uh, we had brought in a players that uh, give us an opportunity to ride the ship a little bit. Not ready to give up on all those guys, but uh, you know, we, we've got to have some guys step up here. Which kind of gets you to, uh, you know, what will the weekend rotation look like? You know, does Nate stay as a starter? I suspect he does, but I won't be surprised if maybe they throw guard out there for a couple times through the order and then bring in Nate. Maybe you pair those guys up. I don't know. But Bradley Laughlin didn't didn't take his normal midweek starts. We know he's going to the weekend. And I uh, asked Chris Simonis last night, how do you plan to schedule this? Do you want to keep Gerangelo on Friday to keep him in repetition? I think maybe you throw Lofton. On Thursday, maybe, you know, he would have ordinarily thrown on Tuesday. So this would be time for him to go, right? And then you throw him this Thursday, you give him that extra day of rest, and then maybe you put him on Friday. Uh, but Gerangelo has had some difficult first innings. We've got to be able to get him going. You know, he has been better after the first inning. He had a tough outing last weekend, but we know that kid's going to be a star. And so do we go Lofton, Gerangelo, and Nate? Is there three starters? And, again, what do you do with Gartman then, you know? Um, I like Gartman out of the bullpen because he appears to be a fast starter. And you begin to think about if KC can give you two to three and Gart can give you two to three, and if Nixon rounds back into form, you can probably manage this thing a little bit better. When you have to rely on all these young pitchers, you're going to struggle. And, of course, Lofton had the good start against Arkansas State, but walks have been an issue. And when you have a team like South Carolina – uh, that if you leave balls up, that they'll punish you, you got to feel like you're going to nibble a little bit. And so I begin to think, you know, how will Lofton handle an offense as prolific as this Gamecock offense? No matter what happens this week with Bradley Lofton, whether he goes one inning or seven innings, Bradley Lofton is going to be a star at Mississippi State. And he's making his first SEC appearance this weekend. It's a lot to bite off. It's a lot to chew. And so 
I know how this thing will probably go this weekend. I think we're, you know, we're facing, you know, a losing series. But the reality of it is, is I think you've got to put your most talented guys on a weekend and then hope that they can figure that thing out. That's the important aspect of every bit of this. You know, you can't keep sending the same guys out there and getting the same results and expect things to change. And so Lofton, of course, now will be another weekend starter. And if Gartman doesn't go, then that means that nobody from the opening weekend maintained their positioning. There's still a role for Landon Gartman. I still think that guy can help us. Let's take a quick look back at what happened last night around the league, in case you have not kept up. But uh, Tennessee, a 5 nothing winner against UNC Asheville. Kentucky goes down to Bowling Green and takes care of Western Kentucky 10-8. to uh, Kentucky now ranked 18th in the country. And again, that schedule will get a little more difficult when they play Tennessee and Florida and teams of that nature. But uh, if, if, you're, if you're the people at Kentucky, you got to feel like, hey, well, maybe we're turning the corner here. Uh, Texas goes to College Station and beats them 5-2 last night. And A&M, that's going to be an interesting series this weekend with Ole Miss. And we'll, we'll kind of preview that the weekend on Friday. We'll wait for Friday's show, we'll recap Thursday's game, recap and kind of pre- preview Friday the weekend for everybody. Uh, but that'll be interesting. You know, Ole Miss, a team that's struggling against an A&M team that may be underproducing right now. Vanderbilt 11-1 winners over Lipscomb. And then that, you know, that was game was supposed to be played last week. Uh, Alabama 10-4 winners over Middle Tennessee State. Of course, your Diamond Dogs beat Sanford 9-4. Arkansas beats Omaha 16-3. Auburn hammers North Alabama 14-1. Florida State in Florida was postponed. Uh, South Carolina, of course, uh, at the Citadel wins 13-2. LSU 17-5 winners over Grambling. And then Missouri gets off the schneid a little bit. They take care of Illinois uh, 6-5. So pretty good night for the conference last night is uh, most of your body was kind of able to get out and stretch your legs a little bit, uh, A&M, uh, your long loser. Ole Miss and uh, Southern Miss, no contest game. And if you're expecting some pithy comment from me, you're not going to get it. Uh, I, what I wonder about, too, is why wasn't the field ready to go? Like, I've seen some of the videos and the pictures, and you got to wonder, you know, hey, you know, I don't even know if I would have taken the field. It's like, hey, and give listen, give Ole Miss and Southern Miss you know, credit for at least trying to make it work. And then somebody steps in and says, hey, look, somebody's going to get hurt here. We need to go ahead and call this thing. And, and so, of course, now Ole Miss now 1-0 in games they were losing at the time the games were called. But I don't blame Ole Miss or Southern Miss for not wanting to play in an unsafe environment. I think at Trustmark Park, I mean, we've had some good experiences down there. But you got bigger games to play than a midweek game against the uh, out-of-conference opponent. they got to get that fixed. And, again, I've seen pictures and video, and I've seen a lot of people just want to kind of give Ole Miss some grief for it, and that's just kind of part of the rivalry. But I don't blame Bianco the least. And I don't even know who the home team was, but Scott Berry came out and said it was as much his decision as it was Bianco's. And so I think then, you know, the indictment then passes to Trustmark Park. You've got to have a safe playing surface out there available for everybody to play. Only a couple games uh, tonight is Missouri will take on Lindenwood and Georgia Southern will take on Georgia. Uh, Wednesday night games for them. And then uh, looking, of course, on Thursday, there will be two series that open on on Thursday. Us in South Carolina, and then Tennessee is at LSU. That could be interesting. That Tennessee offense in that launching pad that is Alex Box Stadium. Uh, You know, Paul Skeens obviously would go. That'll be interesting to see, though, you know, what does the LSU pitching staff do with this Tennessee offense that even though they've had some up and downs this year, they're still very talented. They're still very confident. 
And so, you know, Tennessee is going down there thinking, hey, this is a chance for us to shake things up and possibly move, uh, you know, into the top five. Tennessee could absolutely go win that series. Uh, they could. I'm not saying I expect them to, uh, but they could. And, uh, again, we'll preview this stuff uh, later in the weekend. But um, just to give you a quick overview, Missouri is at Kentucky. Auburn is at Florida. Tennessee's at LSU, of course. South Carolina comes to state. Ole Miss is at A&M. Georgia's at Vanderbilt. Alabama to Arkansas. I don't think there's going to be a lot of upsets this weekend, but, you know, it's one of those things you never know with college baseball. You just you never know what's going to happen. But uh, some very interesting and intriguing series. There always are this time of year. We're trying to find out who's good and who isn't. Uh, but we, we know that LSU is. And, you know, Arkansas might actually be uh, ahead of schedule. And I think Vanderbilt's probably uh, maybe a better team than I gave them credit for. But they have played Ole Miss and State. And so they're 6-0 and against two teams that haven't won a conference game. So – uh, but after watching Vanderbilt play in person and, and as aggressive as they are swinging and as good as they are defensively, you got to feel like Vanderbilt is probably a team that competes for a chance to get to Omaha. But uh, an interesting week, to say the least, and we'll talk more about these series on, on uh, Friday. But uh, I'm eager to see, obviously I'll be covering a ball game, you know, how does Tennessee attack Paul Skeens? Best pitcher in the country right now. I think, I think most people would agree with that. But uh, very exciting times as we get into it, and hopefully State can find a way to win a game or two this weekend. We certainly need it. I'm not optimistic, but we certainly need to get off the schneid here. We do. And you never know. I mean, you're going to need somebody to step up and say, okay, let's go. You're going to have to have somebody kind of put the team on their back. And that's the thing you think about setting its home for a weekend. You know, what? No matter if it's Bradley Lofton or Durangelo or whoever, you go out there and you keep the ball in the yard on Thursday and uh, maybe give your, your team a chance to win. You, know, you get that Thursday win, you change the complexion of the weekend. Because it just feels like we're always chasing the game. Even last night against Sanford, we're chasing the game. You get down 2 nothing, and then you tie it, and you're down 4-2, and it feels like you're always playing from behind. What can we do with a lead? You know, of course, we, we get a 3 nothing lead at, at Kentucky, and then we can't do anything with that. But um, you'd like to be in a situation at times where you could be a little more patient at the plate. And then your pitchers could be a little more aggressive pounding the zone, and that usually comes right along with a lead. But it always feels like we're at a deficit. It always feels that way. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Told you guys a million times, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. I would love to be that close to campus, but also to have a nice neighborhood around me, you know, where the kids can play and the grandkids can come and visit and things of that nature. They can have other kids uh, within a neighborhood to kind of deal with. And maybe they're part-time kids. I mean, they're kids all the time, but maybe they're uh, people that come up for ball game weekends. You look forward to seeing them, and you make friends from around the state and the country. Maybe you do too. Uh, but Portico, a great place to live, just 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy, tucked away in a nice little neighborhood there. Turn off 82 on a 12, take the very first ride at Pat Station Road. Go to the four-way stop. There's Portico on your right. You can give yourself a self-guided tour. But you're going to need more information because you're going to fall in love with that place. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home and really get anything in between. If you need a custom build, they can accommodate you. If you need bigger office space, you big, a big nursery, if there's things that you want, let them know. And phase one is completely sold out. Phase two is under development now. Many of those homes are sold, but there are some available. There are some lots available, too, for you to pick out your lot and, of course, have a say in your house plan. And everybody should do that at least once. 
Be sure and give Brooks a call today and make Portico your next move. Okay, we had Pro Day yesterday. Pro Day is always kind of bittersweet. Zach Arnett kind of said as much yesterday. You know, you're happy for them, but you're sad they're leaving, right? You hope they came in here and had a good experience and that we prepared them for the NFL draft. And um, like as, as Arnett says, and you go out to practice, you know, and they're lo- no longer there. I didn't take that as a shot at the team. And here's the thing, too. Let me go ahead and prepare you guys for this. If you hadn't been paying attention, many of you maybe didn't watch the interviews uh, when Zach Arnett was a defensive coordinator. Zach is always a little bit salty. Zach is never going to give you coach speak. Zach's never going to sit here and say, hey, we're going to go win the SEC this year. He's not that kind of guy. He's always going to find something uh, to be critical about, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but he's always a, a guy that's looking to get better. Hey, we got to be better here. we got to be better there. And I love the fact that he's the guy that always kind of puts the accountability on himself. A lot of people out there, you know, say, hey, this guy didn't do this, and Zach's like, i got to call better plays. We got to practice better. We got to prepare better. And I think guys play harder for guys like that. I believe in accountability behind closed doors. And I believe in coaching accountability at the mic. Even if people say things that are true, you know, there's just, there, there's a way that you handle things. I think Zach handles it well, but, but be prepared. Zach will get out there and praise your team after a win. Talk about this guy that did a good job here, but hey, we got to be better there. You know, Zach is a bit of a perfectionist in many respects, but not in one of these uh, maniacal ways that he makes everybody around him miserable. But he does coach those guys. He does. And so it's important to kind of understand that. Every time I kind of practice, he sees me, comes over and says hello. He's a good dude, man. He is. And uh, I'm excited about him being our coach, but I do agree with him. We're losing some very good players. And now you're having to go take, uh, you know, some guys that got here in the portal to kind of retool the secondary. And you, you see Emmanuel Forbes out there yesterday talking with teams and representatives. You see Jackie Matthews out there uh, doing a good job. Colin Duncan uh, doing the best he can, trying to get some looks out there. And, you know, you think, man, we'd be a better team if we had those guys, right? And, and then we could have had them back. They're not leaving because they're upset. They're leaving because they're opportunistic. And we absolutely wish them the best. Had a chance to visit with Emmanuel Forbes by myself after his media session it's amazing how far he's come in just talking to the press, to be quite honest with you. And I'm reminded, and we talked about this kind of reminisce a little bit yesterday, I remember taking his picture on junior day and thinking, there's no way this kid plays in the SEC. He's too little. He's too skinny. And he joked, and he goes, yeah, he goes, I was really little back then. I said, what do you weigh, 135 pounds? And he kind of laughed me off. And he goes, no, I wasn't that little. I think he was. <laughs> and he's still thinly framed. He is what he is. But it's good to see great things happen to great people. Emmanuel Forbes has come in here and been a leader for this team, even as a young guy. And he talks about his favorite pick sixes and picking off the ball against Texas A&M. Uh, didn't think he was going to get that one. Of course, that kept us in the ball game. Texas A&M really good that year, and State gave him all kind of trouble. We just couldn't mount any offense. But Emmanuel Forbes is one of those people that uh, did a lot of things behind the scenes you guys are unaware of. Emmanuel Forbes is always the guy telling everybody else, finish the rep, finish the rep, finish the rep. And he was real big on telling people they were soft. And we talked about that yesterday, and he laughed about it. He goes, my favorite thing to do is tell guys they're soft to get them motivated. 
And that's the thing that I wonder, not just because of the fact that we lose his obvious athletic ability and his ability to shut down other teams, you know, number one receiver. Who is going to be that guy? Who is going to be the leader that talks it and walks it? Because when Emmanuel Forbes had things to say on the practice field, guys listened because he did it on game day. There are a lot of people that have a lot to say until the tape comes on and all of a sudden you got to go over their mistakes and they're not practicing what they preach. But Emmanuel Forbes always did. He says he already has eight visits set up uh, with some of the 30 teams. And, uh, you know, that's about him having a chance to go in there and sell himself. You know, get on the dry erase board and break down coverages and look at film and things of that nature and kind of show his football IQ, but also to, you know, who he is as a person. There are some mock drafts that have him in the first round. The rest of them have him in the second. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, the most prestigious pro football franchise of all time, one of those teams that's going to visit with him. The Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings, Tennessee Titans, and many others. There are a lot of teams out there that would benefit from having a guy like Emmanuel Forbes in their huddle, but more importantly, in their locker room and representing them as an ambassador of their franchise. And it's not just about the press conference, right? It's, it's rarely about the press conference. You want to handle yourself as a professional. But it's about what you do on game day. It's about what you do when you're out in the city and you're representing another organization. It's a much different deal than with, with recruiting. Recruiting, you pick a school, right? You pick among your offers. In the draft, they're picking you. So now you're going out there and showing them what you have to offer and explaining to them why they should select you. I have little doubt that Emmanuel Forbes is going to have a great career provided he stays healthy. I had some people yesterday asking me, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I was like, just watch the tape. Watch the tape and imagine what he's going to look like with 10 to 15 more pounds of muscle on him when he gets into a pro weight room. We did some good things with him. But why would we tinker with him too much, right? I mean, you look at what he did for us. Okay, well, let's go put 20 pounds on him. No, no. What are you going to do, make a safety out of him? Hurt his dexterity? Hurt his foot speed? You know, they've got people that can handle that. We've gotten our scholarship money out of Emmanuel Forbes. We have gotten the return on our investment. And I'll be honest with you, I wondered if he was a guy that would be able to stay healthy at Mississippi State. And he has, with rare exception. With rare exception. He missed a couple of games. There were times that people thought he'd be out for a long time, but he is a tough Mississippi kid. And he's about to go cash a really big check. And uh, the thing that I know about Emmanuel Forbes that might be different than a lot of other players, not just here but elsewhere, the money won't change him. Now, he'll go out and buy him a nice rig, right, and he'll find a nice place to live. But Emmanuel Forbes has clearly been raised right. This is a young man that has a value system, understands teamwork, the value of hard work, uh, and he's a guy that wants guys to succeed around him. It's not just about him. And so I'm proud to have known him, proud to have covered him. And I know you all are proud to have had him share the walk with us for a while. But you're going to read about him a lot in the coming weeks. And there are going to be some people that are going to be critical of his size and his weight. And that's something that he's dealt with his entire life. And he's overcome the odds every single time. So I am confident he's going to do a good job. Tyrus Wheat was outstanding in drills yesterday. You don't see guys that big move as fluently as he did. He didn't speak to the media afterwards, but I thought he acquitted himself really, really well. Uh, Cam Young, another guy, too, that uh, a lot of people say he has a mid-round grade. I had somebody yesterday tell me they're expecting him to go probably in the fourth or fifth round, but they do think that he is a guy that will make a team. 
You know, he won't be a practice squad guy. They do think that he's a guy that will make a squad somewhere. Uh, Austin Williams is a guy, too, that, uh, you know, a great ambassador for the university, you know, and, and a guy, too, that's very dependable. You know, you worry a little bit at times about the foot speed. You don't worry about, you know, production so much. You don't worry about hands. You don't worry about him embarrassing you off the field. Austin Williams is a guy that could probably run for president someday, right? Um, but, yeah, I thought he did some good things yesterday. But, um, you know, the, again, it's going to boil down to foot speed. Colin Duncan didn't have a great 40 time unofficially, but he's a guy that got out there and competed exceptionally well. Uh, I think that there's a lot of guys out on this team you, you look at and you say, you know what, hey, I feel pretty confident. You know Forbes is going to go as a no-brainer. You feel like Cam is going to go without a lot of trepidation, and then Tyrus Weed could be a guy. And outside of that, I don't know. <clears throat> I think all of you kind of feel the same way. It's going to boil down to fit. There may be some guys that get invited to camp that make a team as a practice squad guy, and then we'll see how things go. But it's not a great NFL class for Mississippi State. Jackie Matthews is a guy that I think has a real chance because of how fast he is and that he plays much bigger than he measures in. He's a guy that will absolutely hit you. Probably the biggest takeaway I had yesterday from Pro Day was Will Rogers. He said, but Steve, Will, he didn't go through Pro Day. Well, he threw we needed a quarterback out there to run drills. I don't know that I've seen Will Rogers throw the ball better than I saw yesterday. Now, granted, there's no rush, right? I mean, you were basically playing seven on seven. You know, there's no coverage, just things of that nature. But just his mechanics, his delivery, you know, the spiral on the football, I thought was outstanding. There were a couple times, too, he threw some 40 and 45-yard passes, hit guys in stride. And so, I think Will's getting better. And Will's done some amazing things right now. And does Will have a ceiling? We all do. But I see, I'm seeing that ball whip around out there, and all of a sudden I have to put my glasses on because I'm an old guy now. And I go over there, that's Will Rogers. Will was really good. He was. And, again, there's no rush in his face. There's no decision-making process. You know you know what you're going to do. Hey, we're running the seven-step hitch, right, seven-yard hitch right here, right? You know what you're doing, right? So it's kind of this pitch and catch out there. But mechanically, I thought he looked really good. You know, down the stretch last year, you know, he had some challenges. Didn't play his best football against Ole Miss or Illinois. We still managed to win the game. And I think about, too, I watched those highlights of the Egg Bowl yesterday. You know, the drive right before the half that got us back in the ball game. I don't know that we've had a lot of quarterbacks in the past that could have made that happen. You know, the drive, obviously, uh, against Illinois, the touchdown pass to Justin Robinson that proved to be the moment in the Reliquest Bowl. You know, you, you make some mistakes early, but when the game is on the line, when your team absolutely had to have you, Will stepped up. Can he play better? Absolutely. But based on what I've seen from him in the limited time I've been in practice and the time that I saw him yesterday, I've, I've been impressed. I have been. And I'm eager to see what Kevin Barbe does with Will Rogers from a play calling standpoint. You got some options, right? You know, the, Will Rogers does a lot of things that Mike Wright can't. And Mike Wright does some things that Will can't. And so you can utilize both of those guys and their skill sets and their attributes and go out there and you can score points. And Will's a guy that wants to win. I mean, sure, Will wants to be on the field all the time. But if we get in a situation where, you know, if there's a defense out there that uh, is susceptible to a quarterback run, you put Mike right out there in some situations, you make some things happen. Well, yeah, you would do that. We just want to win. And I can promise you Will Rogers wants to win. And Will Rogers is a guy, too, that uh, probably has a future beyond Mississippi State. He's probably a guy that gets drafted late. And there are a lot of people, of course, will say, well, he's an air raid guy, whatever. I think in some respects, the change in scheme, while it may limit his pass attempts, might make him a bigger winner. It might make him be in a situation, perhaps, that people view him as more than just a systems quarterback. I think that's important. It's a very important aspect of all of this. But uh, 
little football stuff. And, of course, uh, you know, we've got uh, some more spring football ahead of us, and uh, we'll have a scrimmage Saturday. We'll give you full coverage of that. That'll be out of the SIL complex. It's not open to the public. But we'll go cover that, and then we'll go cover the baseball game on Saturday. And so full coverage at jeanspage.com. If you're not a member, you should be. And uh, I encourage you, as always, uh, come by and visit with us. And listen, baseball board's a little bit contentious these days, and rightfully so, right? We're a proud baseball program. We're not playing at the, uh, the level we expect to be. Uh, my hope is maybe we can turn it around. Which uh, Let's part with this, okay? Uh, you know, as always, you can go to Dog Pile the Book, get my sports books, and, and Stark Villains gear available at Stark Villains. But our, our parting thought today, what's the best-case scenario for Mississippi State baseball? What would be best for us as a program? Now, immediately when I asked that question, some of you said, oh, you got to fire Lamarless. Is that really the best? At this point, is that really the best? Wouldn't the best case scenario be that we turn it around? That we find a way that maybe Bradley Lofton goes to the weekend and, be- and performs at a level that makes us competitive? That Jerron Gelode now with a couple of SEC starts under his belt and that Casey Hunt continues to develop as a long relief guy, perhaps Landon Gartman and Nate Dome, maybe in some combination, gives us a competitive advantage on the weekend. And we start stringing some wins together and we make Hoover. And then maybe, maybe you make the tournament and you say, Steve, you're talking crazy. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe we won't win an SEC game the entire year. And if that happens, you got to make a coaching change. You have to. Period. As much as I like Chris Simonis, if, if you have that type of disaster, you got to make a change. And again, I've said on this show before, there's never been a coach in the history of college baseball that's been fired two years removed from a NFL championship. But a lot of that's because of the fact that baseball didn't matter in certain decades. Baseball matters here. I'm never a guy that really believes in advocating for coaching changes until it's obvious. The way that we have played the last two weekends, not good. But the best thing for Mississippi State baseball is for Chris Simonis and Scott Foxhall and Jake Gotro and Kyle Cheeseboro to motivate this team and get this thing turned around, and we go out there and find a way to get to the postseason. That's the best-case scenario for us. And there are some people out there that are already off the Monis bandwagon, and some never were to begin with. I want what's best for Mississippi State baseball. That's what I want. You know, I have been acquainted with and friends with several of your coaches in multiple sports in my career. And you know what? I'm still friends with them. They just don't coach here anymore. Other coaches are. And so my loyalty will always be to Mississippi State and to our traditions and uh, to you guys. And I want what's best for us. I want Mississippi State to win. But I know this. There are just two SEC weekends under our belt, and they have been disastrous. Disastrous. We've got to see some signs of life. we got to go win some ballgames this weekend. You go out there and you start getting beat, 10-run rule again. You know, listen, we are a very patient and forgiving fan base about a lot of things. Baseball is not really one of them. And last year, again, we can kind of excuse and explain away. But when you've had the benefit of the portal and another recruiting class and you process some guys out and you had a chance to flip your roster, it's not like you've been held captive here. You know, you're the guy that's pushing the buttons there. And so I'm rooting for Chris Simonis and the staff and his team to turn this thing around. I believe they can. I don't know that they will, but I believe they can. But I, it worries me that we're having to, uh, to struggle with some of the more fundamental elements of baseball and the fact that we're having to rely on so many young pitchers, which tells me we didn't evaluate recruiter develop very well 
that we had this dominant staff in 2021 that set the NCAA record for strikeouts in a season. And two years later, we struggled to throw strikes. And we're among the nation's leaders, uh, excuse me, the, the bottom, the sour dwellers in most pitching statistical categories. I mean, that something's got to give, right? We can't continue on this path, right? So maybe perhaps we can change course now. And that doesn't mean firing the staff midseason. That, you, that just doesn't happen in college baseball. You just don't have people around. And, like, why would we do that anyway? Just to make a few fans happy, right? <clears throat> oh, I just shows baseball matters here. Yeah, listen, there's still some time to salvage something in the season. My hope is we can. I don't know that we will. My hope is that we can. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.